Welcome back to the Lottery Podcast on Blue Wire Network. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. The NBA discussion this year is kind of dragging. Um, so I thought I'd bring in a guest who covers a little bit more ground, give you some perspective um, from a different side of things. Um, our guest this week is David Zenon. He's trained pros like Serge Ibaka, Mason Plumley, plus some of the top college, high school prospects. You know, it's funny, David and I haven't even actually met but that's why Twitter is great. We've interacted a few times. I've enjoyed his, his takes, his personality. Anyway, um, somebody who clearly knows the game. So, David, what's up, man? Thanks for uh, giving me some time today. My man, thank you for having me, John. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So, first off, why don't you give me a little background? Because I'm not even sure myself. You know, um, What's your backstory? How did you get into training players? Yeah, so I was a practice player at Liberty University. And uh, when I graduated in 2010, you know, I thought that I could just hop into uh, the coaching world, not knowing much about it. But, you know, I, I've always loved the game of basketball. I figured that, you know, that could be something that I could use, um, you know, just as a career. And I found that it wasn't as easy <laughs> as I thought it would be. But I started training kids and, uh, you know, down to like my last $5, literally, uh, this young man hits me up and says, you know, hey, I heard you're a pretty good trainer. I'd like you to work me out. Uh, Long story short, this young man's family uh, was very connected in the sports world, and, you know, they, they took a liking to my training, but also just me as a person. And they introduced me to a lot of uh, influential individuals. I uh, started working for the Westchester Knicks, just doing clock and stats, just, you know, random stuff. And uh, that's when I got to meet, you know, Langston Galloway, Christoph Porzingis, you know, guys like that. And, you know, KP's agent at the time was also Serge Ibaka's, and they said, hey, he needs a trainer you know, let's, uh, let's see what you got. So I got a tryout uh, <laughs> with uh, Serge Ibaka. He liked it, and we've been together ever since. And, you know, it's opened up so many doors for me. So it's pretty crazy how, you know, everything's worked out. But, you know, I'm tremendously blessed, and that's kind of, you know, that's how I got started into my training. Yeah, it's a great story. I mean, you, you get one yeah. foot in the door, and then you kind of just keep climbing up the ladder and, and making new connections and, uh, and rising in the industry and getting to do something you love. I, I, I love the story. And um, I'm sure there are a lot of people it out there. Definitely didn't happen overnight. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it's been, a, it's been a few years. That happened in 2013. So, you know, you know, it's been a while, but I'm, I'm lucky, man. Yeah, you got to get your foot in the door and run with it. Yeah, I'm sure uh, there's a lot of people listening right now who are trying to follow in your footsteps, whether it's in this industry or kind of rise in their own industry uh, by just working hard and, and making connections. Um, so let's get more down to basketball. So I want you know, trainers, it seems like more have popped up over the years and they found a way to be a little bit more mainstream and hear, have their voices heard and, and get connected to the players. But I want to talk about, so as you as a trainer, right, the game, I feel like NBA, the game is, is always changing. Has, as you as a trainer, has there been any, you know, has your process changed at all over the years as, you know, bigs now have to be able to put the ball on the floor and shoot and all that stuff? Has your process, are there any skills that you're trained, that you're using or kind of uh, trying to get guys to use now that maybe they wouldn't have a couple of years ago? Yeah, true. You know, the game's changed a lot, obviously, with the bigs, you know, having to shoot three ball now. So I would say that skill set, that's more of a focal point now. You know, a lot of bigs are looking to just say, you know, hey, as long as I could, you know, be able to help stretch the floor, you know, that's what teams are looking for. So, yeah, the training has changed a lot in terms of that because there's not much that goes on in terms of back to the basket. Of course, you're going to work on technique and footwork and little things that you could finish around the rim. And But a lot of these bigs now, you know, hey, you got to be able to put the ball on the floor. you got to be, be able to pick and pop. And, you know, the, the league now just looks for those type of guys that are going to be versatile because, let's be honest, it's positionless basketball now. So as long as you're able to put the ball on the floor but also stretch the defense, teams are going to be looking at you. It's almost like talent is not nearly as important as it used to be. Now you have to have just the right proper skill set to fit what works best on an NBA floor. You know, jumping high is, is no longer like a necessity. You have to be able to do the certain things, uh, check the right boxes for, for a big man in today's league. What about guards? I mean, you know, the, the scoring point guard is kind of – become the new true point guard that used to be. you got to be a pass-first guy. Now it's kind of opposite. Is there anything, you know, if you work with guards that you kind of focus on more that maybe you wouldn't have focused on a couple of years ago? Yeah, guards being able to do a lot of pick-and-pop and pick-and-roll pick and uh, passing, but then also 
you know, relocating to a different spot and once again, shooting the three ball. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, you know, a loss, you know, the mid range, it's not dead. I, I, you know, I hate when people keep saying that the mid range is dead because a lot of the time when you come down to it and, you know, we, you've seen it in playoff basketball, you got it. You need the mid range, but a lot of guards in terms of their off season training. Yeah. You know, you got to be able to make passes with both hands over both shoulders, pick pocket passes, you know, all those kinds of things. But once again, it gets back to, are you able to hit that open jump shot? Are you able to hit the, the three ball and then finishing at the rim? You know, they're, you know, these guys are so athletic and so big that the scoring point guard does need to know how to, you know, finish at the rim and, you know, penetrate and kick is everything. So, that that's um, you know that's been something that's changed a lot in terms of the training. That mid-range jump shot, yeah, guys will focus on it and one dribble pull-ups when they need it. But throughout the regular season, that's something that a lot of scoring point guards are looking to do. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that whole mid-range is dead is kind of nonsense. Like if you have a good mid-range shot, that be that could be a good shot. And we've seen you know from Booker to DeRozan and and uh, and Kyrie, you know, pulling up over those ball screens. There's good space in that mid-range. Um, if you have that shot. Now, finishing at the rim, that's something, you know, for me, when, when I do scouting and, and stuff, um, uh, finishing at the rim to me is something I look at first. I look at percentages. How can you, can you teach better finishing at the rim or is a lot of it just like figuring it out yourself on how to angle your body, you know, coordination, all that? Is there something that you can work with players on in finishing at the rim? A lot of it is improvising. I feel like it is improvising, but I also think that, one, you know, everything comes down to muscle memory and preparation. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my style of training, I like to work with guys, you know, based off of the, the type of uh, matchups that they may have that makes them feel the most uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be a time where, you know, I have to act as a, you know, a Draymond Green with Surge, and, you know, I'm saying, you know, that's an undersized four that's going to try to get under you. Here's how we're going to try to finish, you know, on either side of the rim or, you know, your footwork and technique in that way. But for guards, you know, muscle memory is everything. A lot of the times, whenever they improvise, I've seen, you know, these guys are so athletic that they're able to do that in midair. And, you know, they're thinking on their feet to begin with. You know, point guards have to – a really good point guard, obviously, is 10 steps ahead of everybody else. So I'm sure that, you know, I've never been blessed <laughs> with the athletic ability of those guys, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, they're, they're savants in those sense that they could be able to – contort their bodies and finish at the rim yeah. uh, when they be. Dude, I'm, I'm five foot seven, and uh, I'm 33 <laughs> years old. I haven't taken a two-point attempt in a, in a pickup game in like four years because there's just, <laughs> at this point, forget about it. I've just become a, a, a spot shooter. Uh, like, I can I compare myself. I used to play like, you know, I went from when I was like really young, I'd compare myself to like the Steve Nash type breakdown defense. Then I lost a step and I was like, you know what, maybe I'm close to Luke Ridnour. And now I'm like Pablo Prigioni. I can't even bother getting into into the inside the arc. It's just like catch and shoot or pass, get rid of it. Um, anyway, so, yo, have you worked with, did you work with RJ and Zion? No, I didn't. You know, I met RJ and Zion through my connections at Duke, training Mason Plumley, all, right. all three of the Plumley brothers. But getting to know them throughout the time, I've gotten, you know, I've gotten uh, close with both, and just seeing their work ethic and, you know, being able to watch them obviously work out with Coach, you know, you could tell that they're going to be special. But no, I'm, you know, Drew Hammond's done a great job with RJ and Zion's trainer is his stepdad, but. I've helped with both guys in separate occasions, you know, but I wouldn't say that I'm their trainer. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, they're they're great. They're great talent. Yeah, great talents, and also one of the, I, I just loved them off the floor and just as as people, and uh, and I heard nothing but great things about their their work ethic. I can't wait to see Zion get back on the floor. Um, do you think, by the way, do you think Zion's the type of guy who, you know, Luka Doncic comes in, he's an immediate impact player, and usually I always say pump the brakes on these eighteen, nineteen year old kids. Uh, and Zion's going to have ridiculous amount of pressure and expectations, and everything he's going to do is going to be under the microscope when he comes back. You think he's somebody who can actually make an impact right away, or should we? Should you know? Would you advise the people and the fans to just like let him be, and, and it might take a, a little bit for him to to get acclimated and to actually you know impact games? No, he'll, he'll make an impact. I think that, and you know this, uh, John, that the MB, you know. Playing in the NBA, you could impact the game in a myriad of ways. Mm-hmm. Z is going to be the type of guy that could impact the game defensively and also with his energy. Yeah. He's going to score. Uh, just, 
you know, New Orleans ran a lot of great sets for him, you know, where he can go downhill in the preseason. And, you know, based off of what I've been hearing and talking to him and, you know, he's just been working on his game and he'll be able to, you know, showcase more of his abilities. But, you know, in terms of the scoring, you know, ups and downs, you know, it's a rookie thing. You know, he'll be he'll be a great player in the league, but he's going to impact the game more so when he comes back with his energy and defense first, and then everything else is going to fit into, you know, to place with him. He's he's unlike anything I've ever seen, you know, in, in, in any sport. <laughs> and uh, I've been around a lot of pro athletes, and he was the first guy that I, I – seriously saw in person where I was just like, whoa, this is, this is incredible. So he's going to be fine. Uh, he's going to be a really good player, a great player. Uh, but fans, let's, let's pump the brakes in terms of him averaging 20 something for his rookie year. And, you know, he's got to get acclimated to the game and the speed, uh, even though he played tremendous in preseason, it's a different animal in the regular season, but I have full faith that he's going to be a, a really, really good player in this league. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I, again, pump the. I, I want to continue to. Everyone's going to think like he's got to follow Luca if he's not like, you know, dropping twenty a game right away. They're going to start the, uh, the the bus talk, and I really hope that they don't even start talking about whether he's going to be durable enough. That's another conversation that I don't even want to have, and I wish people don't even you know bring that into the universe about durability with him. But what about RJ? So uh, I know what. What were you going to say? I would say I'm oh, sorry to interrupt, but I would say that the thing, the difference between him and Luca also is, you know, Luca's the primary handler of the rock there and Luca's game is totally different. You know, he's able to, you know, he came in with that skill set to score the ball. Z's mm-hmm. main skill set wasn't to necessarily score the ball. He's crazy athletic. He's explosive, but you know, his main thing wasn't looking to just every single time he's either creating or scoring, you know, Z had a role at Duke that he had to fill in. Um, but, you know, Luca came in with the scorer's mentality, but also he could facilitate. So, you know, fans, as you know, good call, pump the brakes, but he's going to be a really good player. Yeah, I mean, go back, yeah, sorry. going back to Luca, by the way. I mean, having yeah. watched him overseas, I'm just—he was my number one guy, but I never thought in a million years he'd be able to score the way he is right now. And and the big question with Luca was, can he create enough separation? Um, without that explosiveness as a wing player. We knew about the passing and the basketball IQ and all that, but uh, I didn't expect him to be able to, to create shots the way he is. Um, and, yeah. and so that's kind of what's what's really propelling his scoring production. To a guy who's dropping 30 a game um, at 20 years old. But let's go to RJ, because I know you're you're in the New York scene. You, you, you watch a lot of Nick basketball, as do I. I've grown up in New York my entire life. Um, I, I'm a, a closet Nick fan, and... You know, I, thought, I mean, I try not to say that loud because if I, doing what I do, if I start to tell people I'm a Nick fan, then, then they kind of think differently about my, my analysis. But um, it is what it is. If they looked in my background, you know, I'm, my first game was seeing Reggie score eight points in nine seconds. And so uh, I, live right next, I, live, I live right next to the Garden, um, 33rd and 7th. So, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm right here. And so anyway, so I watch a lot of Knicks basketball as do you. RJ would have been my pick as well at number three. I had no problem with him taking him. It's no surprise that, you know, efficiency-wise, he's, he hasn't been great. I don't think the Knicks did a good job of surrounding him um, and putting him in the best position to succeed right away. But I think he's held his own, and I think he's been fine. What have you seen from RJ, and what are you hoping is the next step that he takes? Um, well, RJ, before the season started, you know, um, I knew that he was going to perform well. I didn't think that he would come out guns blazing like he did in terms of his scoring, you know, uh, scoring average. I knew that his percentage, you know, could come, you know, a drop here and there. And, of course, you know, rookies are going to hit a wall, you know, at this point. But, you know, the roster that he was surrounded with, you know, the Knicks were just going through also a transition in terms of, you know, new roster, you know, the coaches on the hot seat. There was a lot that was thrown at RJ um, from the jump, but he was able to handle it, which is pretty impressive. RJ's an even kill guy, very, very sweet kid, but he's a killer, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love to tell this story that when RJ and Zion, we got to shoot a commercial last summer, and he, you know, he and I were just talking, you know, whatever, all three of us, and he brought up the Michigan State loss, and it still bothered him. And I'm like, hey, bro, you know you're going to get drafted in, like, three weeks. Like, it's okay. Like, <laughs> you know, you can move on with that. But it just, it just bothered and he's competitive to that 
you know, to that extent. But I knew that he would be able to score, you know, pretty well. He's a downhill player. He's, he's doing much better in terms of finding his teammates. I think that he kind of, you know, put the burden on in terms of scoring on his back a little too early for Boston, but he's learning to really facilitate and take advantage of his scoring ability. What I'd like to see is just him improve his jump shot. You know, just there, there are going to be times where he might not be able to put that shot up for a couple minutes, and but he has to be able to keep that rhythm. And it's cyclical because just watching RJ and the type of offense that the Knicks are running now, you know, he's able to take advantage of having Mitch there, you know, pick and roll and being able to help have him go to the basket as well. But I would love to see more in terms of, you know, once again, taking advantage of that mid-range jump shot. And then once you take advantage of that, stretch out to the three. So I love the fact that he's here. <laughs> Me being a Knicks fan, I'm ecstatic. Uh, not just from the personal standpoint of knowing him, but also just as a fan, you know, the Knicks got a really good player there. So, yeah, he, he's, he's another one. You know, fans are going to have to be uh, patient uh, with his development. Uh, so far, so good in terms of, you know, what Mike Miller has done over there. But, uh, yeah, I would, I would like to see a little bit more in terms of his three ball falling some more. Yeah, from from the Knicks standpoint, I think he's exactly the type of guy, like that story you told. This is like a kid who hates losing, you know, more than he likes winning. And, and you know, a loss That's like right. that will stick out to him more than any of the wins that he had going back to high school. Um, and, of course, the jump shot's always been tied to his development. To me, he's, he's so good at drawing fouls. He's got to make free throws. I mean, 57%. He's never really oh, been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's never been a good yeah. free throw shooter, and and that's one of like the things that separates him is first of all his strength for for a teenager, and uh, he just you know changes speeds and just finds those little windows and great uh, footwork to, to just find that space and and either draw a foul or get that layup, leave so many points on the line. So I want to see a little more free throw shooting, and I wish I wish he had more opportunity to to work in ball screen situations. The Knicks have like four guards, you know, with Frank and Peyton and, and Dennis. Who, who handle most of those touches. But I think eventually he's going to be a guy who uh, makes a lot of decisions um, in the ball screen game, and, and he'll be a, a, one of those triple-double threats because he's such a good rebounder for a wing player as well. Now, I want to quickly transition now to, to some of the prospects um, in college. I don't know how much college basketball you watch, um, and, and this year is certainly a down year. But is there anybody, you know, as a Nick fan or as any, any fan for a tanking team, is, is there a prospect that stands out who you think – is kind of the guy that you that you really hope to get if they win the lottery? Yeah, well, <laughs> I love LaMelo Ball as a point guard. Mm -hmm. I love LaMelo Ball in terms of his upside. I've heard a lot of great things in terms of his maturity, uh, how he's able to uh, relate to his teammates now. And just there, there was a lot of questions. There were a lot of questions in terms of him being able to be mature enough to handle that. Um, of course, everybody had the question of LeVar being in the picture as well. You know, of course, that's always a daunting thing in terms of his personality, but so far so good from what I've heard in Australia. You know, the Knicks need a point guard, and, you know, they need a guy that's able to distribute the ball and find teammates in the spots that are necessary in order for them to score. But LaMelo's also really good at getting hockey assists, and, you know, him being you know, 6'8 now and seeing over the defense, I think that that's something that's possible because a backcourt of RJ and LaMelo, both 6'7, 6'8 kind of, you know, strong, versatile players, that's a really good backcourt. So I would love if the Knicks were able to get a point guard. Of course, if we can't get LaMelo, a guy like Cole Anthony, you know, he he's another one. You know, he's very, very explosive. He's able to uh, score the ball. I don't think he's as much of a facilitator as Lamelo would be. Um, obviously, he's not as big, but those would be the two, you know, guys that I would look for in terms of filling the point guard role. Because, you know, we have Mitchell Robinson. You know, he's a big, you know, so that kind of takes James Wiseman out of the the equation unless we could find a way to kind of, you know, have one play the five or play the four. But that's you know a lot of moving pieces because we also have Julius Randle there. So you know. I don't know. The Knicks are in a bit of a spot. <laughs> they need a couple pieces, but we we need a point guard. We haven't we haven't had a surefire point guard in a while, so that's 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 what I would look to do. Yeah. So I have Lamelo as my number one guy as well. Regardless of who's picking, I think I think he's just uh, better than everybody else. I think it's that simple. 
Um, and so no matter who's picking, whether it's the Warriors, I mean, I guess you fall into a little bit of a pickle if it's like the Hawks and you have a ball-dominant guy like Trey Young. But um, mm. but at this point, I mean, I think LaMelo is, is just, not only is he better, I think he's a guy like, he, he makes guys around him better. And that's something that I'm not sure anybody else does, whether it's Anthony Edwards, we saw last night, you know, take how many step-back two-pointers um, and uh, in big possessions. And, and Cole Anthony, who, who to me is also right up there and, and somebody who I think the Knicks um, are going to target as well. Um, but he doesn't make guys better the way LaMelo does. And uh, he just keeps getting better and he continues to mature both physically and mentally. And, and just the way he handles himself overseas. I, I've said this a lot. I think the best thing that happened to LaMelo was him getting famous at a really young age. And now he's just like doesn't need the, the fame anymore. He's kind, of, he's kind of over it. And so he doesn't need to be that hero. And so he's playing the right way overseas. He's really focused on setting the table first. And sometimes he does get caught up with the with the dance, 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 pull up from, from 30 feet. But he's made pretty drastic improvements to his style of play, to his maturity. And I think uh, looking at this draft where there's just not a lot of obvious answers, I think f- f- particularly for a team like the Knicks, if you can get LaMelo, it would be a huge win. Now, Cole Anthony, I don't, I don't know how much you've seen Cole um, obviously, he's got ties to the Knicks with Greg, and I'd imagine that they've been following Cole um, for a long time because of how good he was high school at Oak Hill. Um, would you have any concern with a backcourt? I, I keep going back to the Knicks because I, I just I, I just naturally do that. But would you have any concern with a, a Cole Anthony, RJ backcourt um, in, in terms of maybe two guys who are more score first guys and neither of them real natural facilitators? I could see. I could see where there could be a concern in that regard, but you know, also the NBA game, there's so much spacing involved. You know, it also depends on the other pieces that are surrounding them, and that's why I I just come back to the main thing about the development of the the other younger players on the team. You know, let's you know, hopefully Knox can be able to make a jump. Let's see how you know the rest of the draft falls into place in terms of. You know, whoever they they might be able to pick up or sign, like there's just a lot that goes into play. But as the roster is currently constructed, you know, yeah, that could be a little bit of an issue. Uh, I wouldn't say an issue, but it could be a little bit of um, you know, a hold up there because, yeah, both guys are going to score the ball. Uh, but which one's the more consistent in terms of, I guess, durability and being able to play um, a more physical style of play? You know, of course. I would go with RJ in that regard just because of his size and stature and his ability to be more of a triple threat. I mean, a triple-double threat. So I could see how that might be an issue. I just think that Cole is also uh, smart enough to understand, and he's had a guy, you know, of course his father's longtime NBA player to know, hey, this is how you're going to be a successful point guard in the league. So they're, they're – it's 50-50, man. You can, you can flip it up in the air. But I think that that wouldn't be too much of an issue. I think that if you had a guy, you know, of course we wouldn't want an Anthony Edwards back there. Not that he's not talented enough, but I'm just saying, like, he's a guy that's just looking at just straight score. Yep. Um, so that's kind of just a, a, a fallback. So LaMelo, number one in my book. And then if we can't get that, let's look at, you know, Cole. Yeah, so those are the I mean, top- also. Yeah, Nico, Nico at Arizona is also pretty good too, though. Yep. I like his game a lot. Yeah, I'm gl- I like him a lot. I'm glad you mentioned Nico because, I mean, in terms of a, in a vacuum, I would say Lamelo and Cole. Nico, um, in terms of fit, I mean, he is more of a, he's a really good passer, averaging over six assists per game. But he also a versatile shot maker off pull-ups, off spot-ups, runs off screens, and also just a fierce competitor. So I don't know if you, in a trade-down situation, um, somebody to look at, I don't know if you take him above somebody like Cole, just because I think in a vacuum, Cole is the better player. Um, but uh, definitely mm-hmm. somebody to think about. I think Wiseman would be a disaster for the Knicks. And, and Anthony Edwards, um, the more I watch, the more I'm turned off by his fit with a team like the Knicks. Having said that, I wouldn't be shocked if a team did take Anthony Edwards, number one, just because they look at him as a talent and somebody who you could probably just project scoring 25. You know, It kind of reminds me of Donovan Mitchell, uh, where he can give you some secondary playmaking, <laughs> but but just a guy who is just, you know, a gunner. He's going to take bad shots. He's going to make bad shots. Um, but but he could put the ball in the basket. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Anthony Edwards is Donovan Mitchell 2.0. I, I tweeted about another guy that I really like a lot, 
Um, and I know him personally from being in the Westchester area. Um, Obadiah Toppin from Dayton, he's a stud. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love him. He's Amari 2.0. I tweeted that, you know, you're looking at Donovan Mitchell versus Amari when they played earlier in the year in uh, Hawaii. But, um, yeah, Anthony's, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to score 20 to 25 a game. You know, take bad shots, make bad shots. Um, you know, of course, his frame and what he's able to do on the court, he's an incredible talent, so I'm not taking anything away from him. But if you're looking for a guy who's going to be able to run a team and just facilitate with others, yeah, you know, you could go LaMelo, uh, Cole, and Nico. Uh, you know, uh, if fans haven't been able to watch Nico play, uh, he's a very, very uh, great talent. He's a good he's a good kid. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Toppin because Obi – He's, he's moved up my board more, as much as anybody this year. And, of course, by the end of the year, he'll probably be a top-10 pick. And you, I've, I've used the Amari Stoudemire comparison as well. Not even just their style. Just the way that they, they look. And, of course, they both rock number one. And, and some of their dunks, their body language is so similar. I've never seen it's scary when you put them side-by-side, side, how similar they look. And, and Toppin suddenly making jumpers this year. Uh, and, and even the same weaknesses. Maybe he's not the greatest defender. But offensively, like Obi is such a lock to be uh, to be like a John Collins at the least, somebody who just finishes around the basket uh, and puts a lot of pressure on the rim. So I'm um, topping somebody who's somebody uh, top ten guy. I don't know how high you take him uh, when there's a lot of good guards in this draft, but um, interesting to see if somebody kind of reaches on him. Um, all right, let's. I, I don't want to take too much more of your time. How about we talk about some? No, you're all right, so so you're a couple good. a couple of the young guys who just recently been drafted. Let's do some just quick analysis, like. John Morant, uh, John Morant was number two on my board, but again, I never thought he'd catch on this quickly. He's shooting like almost 40% from three, 48% from the field. Everything about him to me screamed, you know, long-term potential. He's going to be, uh, he, he's going to be really inefficient this year. And he's been anything but like, it, it's just, it's come easily to him, even though he came from Murray state, he's suddenly the point guard at Memphis where everybody knows you got to stop John Morant, and yet he's still managed to stay efficient. You know, how high do you think Morant's ceiling goes? You know, compare him to like a guy like Darren Fox. That's the guy I used where I said, okay, he could be like a Fox type player, but he's, he's caught on much quicker than Fox did in his first year. What's your, what's your general take on John Morant? And I love John Morant. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a bad boy. Yeah. John's so, you know, John's crafty, but he's, also very explosive and athletic, obviously, as you could tell by the dunks he's made, but even the dunks that he's been missing, you know, just the fact that he's fearless enough to to even attempt those and just taking the reins as the leader of Memphis and just being like, you know, I'm going to score the ball, I'm going to facilitate, I'm going to do everything that I need to do in order to get this team to be better. But just, to, you could tell his basketball acumen is very high. And just the fact that yeah, he is able to, you know, pull off these crazy plays and finish at the rim and do whatever he needs to do. But Jazz caught on so much faster than I thought he would. Than I thought he would as well, just because, you know, I saw him at Murray State. I've seen him in person. I saw him play in person twice uh, during the NCAA tournament when they went up to um, Hartford, and I was so impressed with this kid. And just by the eye test, I'm like, I don't care. He went to Murray State or Kentucky. I don't care where he went. This kid is a stud. And, yeah, he's caught on so much faster. And the Aaron Fox comparison, I I can see that being spot on. I just think that he's, you know, as as great of a scorer as Aaron was or is, excuse me, you know, the things that Ja was able to do uh, more off the dribble in terms of, you know, that jump shot, you know, he's – He's a little bit ahead of Fox with that. You know, this kid's going to be a long time uh, staple in the league. He's he's that good. Yeah, he was. I mean, the one thing I, I thought about Jai was like, all right, he's going to be a, his passing is going to translate. I always think like like Trey Young, like you knew his passing was going to translate, but how efficient would he be as a scorer? Uh, and so that's what's mm-hmm. really that's what shocked me. You know, even the fact that he doesn't have a, you know, everybody knows like the one hole in his game is kind of shooting. Even though he's shooting at a high percentage this year, he only takes two threes a game. You know, he obviously prefers to get to the basket, and they still can't stop him. Um, and just, uh, yeah, really s- smart player. And, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, the fact that he's been so successful so fast uh, at the guard as a starting point guard on a bad team has is, is really been uh, a wow thing for me. What about Lonzo? So Lonzo Ball, um, 
two underwhelming years, and now suddenly he's hot. And I think the big question with me, with Lonzo coming out of UCLA, was kind of the same thing. Can he score? Um, and suddenly he's starting to make shots. Uh, and so, you know, where do you think Lonzo's game goes from here? His game goes to where he was originally project, projected. I loved him coming out of UCLA. I just thought that, you know, there were, there were so many other factors that were going on with him that made things difficult. And, you know, let's keep it real. The shoes, you know, really affected and hampered his health, in my opinion. I don't think that, I don't think that he should have been playing in them. I think, you know, I get the, the concept and the idea, you know, bravo, Lavar. <laughs> I, I'm not knocking that, but the product wasn't good, and you're affecting, you know, your biggest investment, which is, you know, the player's health. And anyway, you know, between that and it, it seemed as if, like, there was a lack of uh, development in terms of what Lonzo needed. And, of course, you know, it doesn't help with, you know, guys saying, well, LeBron's coming in and this is going to change and that's going to change. You know, let's let's have the kid develop first and then this way – you know, he feels more comfortable with that. But Lonzo now is in a situation in New Orleans where, you know, I have I know a bunch of the development staff that's down there, and they're great guys and they're great uh, people. Excuse me, great women, too, with Teresa Weatherspoon, who is a phenomenal player development coach, by the way. And, you know, he's learning, he's learning the nuances of the game. You know, just because he's going, you know, he's in his third year doesn't mean that, you know, everybody has it all figured out at that point. You know, players blossom in different points and times in their career. You know, I know it has nothing to do with Lonzo, but look at Ben McLemore. You know, like there's guys that they're in the right fit, right situation, that they're able to feel comfortable and flourish. So I think Lonzo's going to be a really good player in the league as well just because his vision is incredible. He's a great passer. So, you know, of course, if you have one skill set that's tremendous, just like what we talked about originally, that's something that's going to help you in the league. And if you surround him with pieces like Brandon Ingram, who another one who's coming into his own, and then Zion being healthy, and then hopefully the vets that are there, they could be able to, you know, find somebody that's, um, you know, able to complement Z, Brandon, Lonzo in terms of the front court aspect of things. You know, Jaleel Okafor has been a pleasant surprise, uh, but they just need a little bit more in terms of their depth. You know, Drew Holiday, we don't know what's going to happen with him, if he's going to stay, if he's going to go. So, you know, th- there's a lot of question marks in New Orleans, but they're getting a lot of assets back from the trade. So we have to wait and see. But as things are currently going, I think Lonzo's going to be fine. As I said, he has one tremendous skill set so far in terms of, uh, you know, passing, but his scoring is coming into his own. He fixed his jump shot, too. <laughs> you know, his release is not as uh, unorthodox as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's getting more comfortable and confident with that shot in terms of taking the shots. You know, when you're when you're a passer for such a long period of time and the offense that they've been running, you know, the offense that they had in UCLA and then, of course, you know, playing in the Lakers, how everything changed, you know, his two seasons there, it could be difficult. So, He's in a comfortable position. He's away from a lot of the, you know, extracurricular stuff that might have been hampering him. And, you know, hopefully he's able to grow yeah. to the player that we thought he could be. I heard him do that interview, and, and shout out to whoever interviewed him when he said it. It might have been on, like, Josh Hart's podcast when he said that he had to change his sneakers, like, every quarter because they would, like, tear up. Crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, like, insane. It's, like, mind-boggling to think that that was going on behind the scenes. And it's almost as if, like, he goes to New Orleans and he's got, like, this weight off his shoulders. Like, I don't have to please LeBron. I don't have this spotlight on everything I do. I can kind of grow and develop with some of the guys on my own timeline uh, with less pressure. And, and uh, it looks like, you know, it's, it, it, that trade is going to work out really nicely for both New Orleans and Lonzo. Um, what about Kuzma? So Kyle Kuzma, he's been in the news, obviously, as a guy who L.A. might trade. And I don't watch a ton of Lakers basketball. But it's funny to think how the narrative shifted where he went from, like, steal of the draft at 27 to suddenly a guy who has, like, no value and he shouldn't be traded for Bogdanovich. I mean, I don't know how much Lakers basketball you watch, but what's the deal with Kuzma? Is he, is he like, a good player or is he just, like, an empty stats guy? Uh, he, you know, uh, man, that's tough. They've been, you know, the Lakers have been playing so well and blowing guys out and playing really good defense and, having AD has changed the entire complexion of that team there. The, the, the issue with Kuz that I could see is that the way LeBron's style of play is, you know, you got to surround him with shooters. 
Cruz is a tremendous scorer in terms of his skill set, you know, 6'9", and he's able to put the ball on the floor. And, yeah, he could hit the three ball. But when you're looking at a guy who, you know, Bogdanovich that's coming from uh, Sacramento who is a flat-out, he could shoot the ball. Yeah. You know, like, you know, he wouldn't have to do too much in terms of having to create his own shot when you surround him with a Danny Green on one end, a LeBron on the – I mean, excuse me, Danny Green on one end, and then AD who is able to – be more of a stretch kind of guy and a lot of the shooters that they've been able to um, acquire this is more fitting for LeBron in order to have that one piece as a shooter there who's you know it, it's hard to determine that because when you're when you're blowing teams out some nights and then other nights where it's close and you know you don't perform well guys are going to immediately say well he's an empty stats kind of guy but it's also tough because we also haven't seen the Lakers without uh, one of those two guys, the big guys playing, you know, AD and LeBron haven't been out at the same time for them to just be like, all right, well, who's picking up the slack? So Kuz hasn't really needed to, you know, really show that uh, in a situation in that that regard. So, you know, I don't know. I really couldn't tell you. I have to watch a little bit more in terms of the Lakers. I've, I've caught most of their games on TV so far, but yeah, that's a trade that I would be interested in hearing it. You know, if I were the Lakers, I would totally, you know, listen to a Bogdanovich or, you know, having that extra shooter because, you know, LeBron's window is closing. And if you have the opportunity to surround him with one extra shooter and just, you know, continue to play the defense that you're playing, yeah, why not, you know? But Kuz is a good player. I don't think he's a great player. Um, but, you know, once again, I don't want to cast aspersions because he's a young guy. Mm -hmm. And guys have to fill into their own and you know he's going into year three yeah so we'll see you know hopefully he's able to fill in yeah i was just surprised by some of the reactions i've seen about um how of course the lakers have to make that deal i just thought that uh i don't know because a pretty good scorer a nice like six man type of guy but uh, i guess defensively he's just not good enough and not consistent enough from behind the arc to, to really fit with what what they really need um all right. it's, just hard to, it's just hard to fill in the pieces in terms of you're, you're dealing with a guy in LeBron who can make any pass at any point, you know, anywhere. And if he needs a guy that's consistently going to be able to hit that, you know, that three ball from the corner, or if, you know, they run, you know, the Lakers do a lot of stuff in terms of, you know, obviously the pick and roll with AD and LeBron now. But if you run, you know, if you see them doing a lot of, you know, pin down stuff and like they have a lot of guys who are able to lift, you know, Danny Green, you know, he, he's a great shooter, don't get me wrong, and he does a great job playing defense. But having another guy to balance that out on the other, other side of the floor that plays more of the wing position, that would be, you know, that would be unfair. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, as much as Kuz is a great scorer and a slasher, and, you know, obviously he's long and he's versatile, he wouldn't be the guy that's just consistently just going to knock that down every single time. And that's what LeBron needs. So you know, pick your poison with that decision. Yeah, understood. Um, I have to ask you this question because as a trainer, I'm sure you have an opinion on, on Markel Fultz because Fultz to me is, I've been with Bleacher Report for eight years. This is, his, his what's happened to him has been like the craziest, I think, story, if I were to write a book on the crazy storylines of my eight years at Bleacher Report in terms of player development, what happened to Fultz is, still, is will go down as the craziest. I had him obviously number one, almost everybody else did too. And I thought he was like such an easy answer for best prospect in that draft. Uh, and then, of course, the shoulder injury, or, or I guess it was a shoulder injury, and maybe how that affected his you know, mental psyche. And, uh, I mean, he was such a good shooter at Washington. And, um, and now he's starting to come alive. You know, what's your general take on Fultz? Does he have the chance to get back to the, to the prospect everyone thought he could be? Yeah, I don't see why not. You know, I don't know. Nobody knows what happened with his shoulder or whether it was something that was a, you know, mental, you know, disconnect or, you know, and I, I'm happy that he's finding a home in Orlando, you know, from what I've seen. I haven't been able to watch a lot of Orlando Magic basketball. Yeah, no problem. From, from, from what I've seen, though, you know, he seems like he's found his role. He had a few explosive plays, like, you know, finishing at the rim, dunking, looking confident, you know, taking that mid-range jump shot that, you know, a lot of a lot of people are you know longing for. I just hope that uh, it continues, but also, you know, is it something where it just needs to be the type of system or the type of plays that Orlando runs? Like, 
I just hope that he's able to uh, find his way, find you know whatever rhythm that he needs to, and kind of get back into that. Because in Washington, he had no problem shooting that rock. And yeah, he was he was my number one pick in uh, that year's draft too. So I think that Fultz, you know, Philadelphia, obviously it wasn't working, and they needed a both of them needed a fresh start. So maybe this you know this year is when Fultz you know Fultz gets his uh you know, feet wet, he's able to get comfortable playing uh, free again, and then next year he takes a, an even bigger jump. But, yeah, it was an anomaly. It was, it was just weird, you know, the whole thing with him in terms of his shoulder. And, you know, no one really knows. And, and so as a trainer, I, I always was looking at the fact that, you know, he had that hitch, and I was thinking it's got to be something physical because I've never seen a player uh, feel comfortable with stopping a shot in mid-motion. You know, mm-hmm. most of the guys, you know, as great shooters, you know, their shot pocket stays the same. They never really dip the ball. You know, they want to keep their elbow straight. And he was just basically doing the complete opposite. And I was like, well, I've never seen that in Washington. So this is something, something happened. But he seems to be getting back into his own now. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, he was doing some wacky things at the free throw line. To, to try and get some type of uh, rhythm before his shot. And um, you know, the, the frustrating thing was the lack of transparency. Like he, he wouldn't tell anybody what was going on. So that just had us all speculating and, and wondering what really was going on. And we didn't really have any answers. Um, I, I got to get quickly to Michael Porter. Um, what are your thoughts on Porter? Oh, I love, you know <laughs> what? I, got, I, I love Porter because, when the Nuggets drafted him, you know, me, you know, because of the fact that I train uh, Mace uh, Plumley, I was like, oh, I love this kid to be uh, part of the youth movement for Denver. You know, Denver has a tremendous roster. You know, they're a really talented squad. Uh, and I, I had no issue with him taking that year off, obviously, due to the back injury. But I tweeted this a couple months ago, you know, before this season started, just because. I've seen Porter play um, up close and personal, but also just, you know, from what I've been uh, examining in terms of his tapes and all this other stuff. And I said, you know, if, if he gets consistent minutes, you know, he could be, not that he would win it, but he would be, you know, in the discussion for the rookie of the year if the Nuggets are able to use him, you know, more consistently. Obviously they, they haven't, you know, their, their roster is loaded, but he's the type of kid that, you know, he could score. He, he's way bigger than, people think of course like in terms of you know his height people are going to be like he's very tall but if you see this kid in person he's got a great basketball body he's got a great uh, frame um and obviously his iq for the game is high and he's able to score in a myriad of ways so i like that kid a lot i'm glad he took the year to just get himself uh, ready to play in the league and he's showing a lot of uh upside you know scoring his career high last week was very refreshing to see and you know the nuggets you know, I think the Nuggets hit it big with him because just being able to have him come off the bench uh, in, in moments where they could be dealing with foul trouble or they need a little bit more length, even though they have a lot of it already, you just never know. And that type of that type of kid and his mentality, from what I've seen firsthand, he, he's a competitor, man. He's a dog. So I, I like him a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad he's on that squad. I mean, the best thing that happened to him was, was slipping in the draft and falling to a team like Denver who could afford to let him sit out a year and uh, you know, let him slowly build build back and, and develop in the right way, and surround him with good players and veterans. Um, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that was the best thing that happened to him. Uh, having watched him again, getting back to high school and coming out of high school, I did a poll, and every every scout had uh, Porter as the projected number one pick. And then that first game in Missouri, the back trouble, and then everyone starts to wonder, you know, does he have the the right body to to handle the contact or whatever? But there was never any question about about his game. And suddenly he looks healthy. Um, he, just the eye test, just watching him, he just looks like like he belongs. He looks like he's going to. I mean, he looks he looks like an NBA scorer, and he really has not had many reps. And so um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mike 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 yeah. Malone is going to put him in the right spot too. You know, it's. I mean, you you're thinking about a kid. You know, Porter's what six ten. So you know, everything that Denver's running is out of pinch post, obviously with Jokic, but. He's he's in the right spot to be able to shoot over people, and then they use mismatches because Denver moves the ball so well. I mean, he's just in a perfect position for him. And you're right; the best thing for him was to slip 
and allow a guy like uh, Coach Malone to really put him in a spot to flourish. Yeah, I mean, just for like future prospects like listening, you know, whether you go number eleven or number thirteen, it's not a big deal. It's a matter of like where you go. Um, so mm-hmm. don't get too crazy about you know your your particular draft slot because your second contract uh, may be more dependent on on how well your your fit is with your first contract. Uh, two more questions. Bam at a bio. I mean, I, I love his breakout year. How high do you think Bam's ceiling is? <laughs> Huge. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's huge. He, he was one of the guys that when he, when he was leaving Kentucky, just his frame, like, once again, the eye test. You know, I, I'm like, and you follow me on Twitter, I'm not a big analytics guy. I just, I just look at the guy's physique, his footwork, his hands, you know, just his ability to run the floor. You know, Bam is just this physical specimen that has now learned how to, uh, you know, be able to stretch the floor a little bit more. Uh, he's not obviously going to, you know, put the ball on the floor a bunch, but he's done a little bit more in terms of doing that. And then having the pieces around him like a Jimmy Butler and uh, Tyler Hero being able to stretch the floor and shoot. And then Kendrick Nunn uh, being on the opposite side. You know, the, the Heat have the pieces to help him flourish. But I also think that he's the type of player and his feeling that he's going to be so good that he could be on any team and, and do it. He's just that impressive of a – of a physical uh, specimen that Bam is the truth, man. And I, I, I think that he, he needs to be an all-star this year. He's that good, yeah. in my opinion. Just that, you know, the numbers that, that he's been putting up and the jump that he's had just in terms of what he does on the floor, you know, it's always not about numbers, but it's about the impact that he's able to have defensively and do things, the little things, you know, and playing the lanes and, his, you know, being able to move and, and do the things that Miami is great at doing. He he's a stud, man. You know he he needs to be an all star this year. Yeah, I'll, Bam got to be an all star. I'll admit on on guys I missed in the draft, and I didn't have Bam um, as a lottery pick. Um, and and it goes back to like some of these college guys who may not want to go to col- uh, some of these high school guys who may not want to go to college because sometimes it masks their skill set. Like we didn't see this passing from Bam at Kentucky. Uh, we didn't see the touch. He was mostly like a low post guy and an energizer. Um, and, the, you know, his defensive versatility didn't really pop as much as it's doing now. So I always say props to Miami for not only seeing it, but taking him as the best player available when they already had Hassan Whiteside. And so uh, for them to take him at number 14 based on the small sample size of games that he had in Kentucky, I thought that was just a great pick um, and, and being patient with him, moving Whiteside and then, and then putting Adebayo in, in a position to succeed like right when he's ready to blossom and then giving him the pieces, like you said, uh, and, and more props to Miami for adding none. And Tyler Hero, another Kentucky guy who, like Devin Booker, um, wasn't able to show his full shot creation ability in college. And suddenly we're seeing it in a more open NBA game. So props to Miami scouting department with all three of those guys. Um, and let's close with this. Just something on uh, my personal, personal question. Again, going back to the Knicks. Uh, and I just, I love Fred Van Vliet. I love what he's done going from undrafted and, and Wichita and blowing up into this productive NBA player. If the Knicks have the chance to, to max out Fred Van Vliet, do you do, you do it? Ooh. <laughs> I mean, let's um, right, let, hold on. Let's also say, okay, say they don't get a point guard in the draft. Like they wind up with, I don't know, they, they get screwed in the lottery. They wind up picking like six or something and they take a wing or a forward or a big guy. And so they're still looking for a point guard entering free agency, and Fred Van Vliet's there, an unrestricted free agent, and teams are going to be throwing money at him. And they've Knicks have struggled to sign these big free agents. Do you go after a guy like Van Vliet? Man, putting <laughs> me on the spot. I, I, you Fred, know, I don't have the answer either. That's yeah. why I'm going to you. <laughs> oh, I got to be careful how I answer this. I know Fred's <laughs> agent. Just kidding. Um no, you know, I got to I got to admit that Fred, I don't see him as a max. I wouldn't I wouldn't give him the super max. I wouldn't I would Man, it's tough. With the roster that's currently constructed, I would just be a little leery of it just because Toronto's Toronto's roster is a little bit obviously it's not a little bit. It's way more complete than the Knicks at the moment. And just the fact that he's able to, you know, be with a guy um, like Kyle Lowry that has basically helped mold him and mentor him. I'm sure that 
being a point guard, but also being a scoring point guard in that type of offense has been very beneficial uh, for both parties involved. But man, that's tough. Uh, I mean, I would, I'll, <laughs> I'd have to answer. I'd have to answer that later on in the season. I just want to see how they. Uh, I want to see how Fred continues to play without Siakam. Yeah. Um, just like a piece that's missing. You know, Toronto's Toronto's roster is really, really good, and defensively, they're really good. So, yeah, I would say later on in the season, I could answer that clearer. But as for now, I don't know if I would give him the max. I just would want to see just a little bit more. The finals, you know, he had a he had a great finals. He had a great Eastern Conference finals. I think after the birth of his child, but you know, lightning in a bottle does occur. However, it seems like he's been consistent with it. But as I said, Toronto has a little bit more talent in terms of their overall roster than the Knicks do. But I would give it a strong – I would actually – to answer your question, i give it a strong consideration. I, I would just, really give it a strong consideration. Yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is. He just seems like the exact type of guy that this New York team needs, like his toughness, his competitiveness – uh, a guy who defends and, and came from like nothing, you know, Wichita and drafted to this to this rise is just such a, an appealing thing for for me as a Nick fan. But anyway, well, I'm yeah, not, it's so, appealing, I, and I, it's appealing, and I love the idea of having him. I would love Fred to be here. Don't get me wrong. Let me let me clarify this. Thing, <laughs> if, Fred, if Fred was able to come here, I would love it. I would totally love it. The only issue is. As much as tough as you could be, and as smart as you could be, and all that other stuff goes and in, in, goes into play, you still need to be able to give somebody the ball. You still need to have teammates that are capable of helping you get open shots as well. So, you know what the Knicks have. You know, obviously they're rebuilding, and they're, you know they're they're trying to figure out what they can do in terms of their identity and developing guys. You know, Fred would be great for our, for our organization, but you need guys to be able to surround them with as well. So I'd give it strong, uh, strong consideration. I love Fred, and hopefully, you know, that's something that does happen. All right, there you have it. I'm coming back to you later in the season. I want a more cemented answer from you on, uh, on you, Fred. You'll get, you'll get one after the All-Star break. I promise you, <laughs> you'll get one. <laughs> All right, uh, that's David Zenon. Follow him on Twitter at David Zenon1. Um, dude, this was fun. Thanks for uh, jumping on with me, all right? Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime.